Hello, and welcome to the Catholic Homeschool Podcast. I'm your host, Paula Ziskanik. And today we're going to be talking all things for the month of November here on All Souls, but in particular, as we end the month, getting ready for Advent. But we're going to be talking to, and I'm very honored to have Laura Kelly Fanucci, and she's going to be talking to me about all things in Advent in our body. And we're going to talk in particular about also grief, loss, are praying for those and helping those who have suffered grief and loss, especially of a child. I'd like to welcome Laura, and I'm going to do so by beginning to read uh, a little short bio for those of you who don't know Laura. Okay, Laura Kelly Fanucci is a Catholic writer and speaker who has spent over a decade working on theology as a vocation. She earned her Master's of Divinity from St. John's School of Theology and a BA from the University of Notre Dame. Laura is an award-winning columnist, uh, columnist for the Catholic News Service and her nationally syndicated Faith at Home column runs monthly on the Catholic newspapers across the United States. Her writing has been featured on NPR's Morning Edition, On Being, and The Christian Century, and in popular outlets, including People Magazine and The Kelly Clarkson Show. Laura has authored seven books, including Everyday Sacrament, The Messy Grace of Parenting, and in particular, the book we're going to be touching upon today, which is called Grieving Together, A Couple's Journey Through Miscarriage. Uh, she and her husband live in Minnesota with their five sons. Welcome, Laura. So happy to have you here today with me. Thank you so much for having me. It's wonderful to be here. So great. So I wanted to start, and I hope I'm not putting you on the spot too much, but reading from your from your blog, something that really touched me. And, and part of the reason why I wanted to talk about this in particular, and especially, as I said, in the month of All Souls. So bear with me a minute, and then we're going to talk about it. The loss of a child is a devastating grief. Mothers often grieve silently. If we have other living children, our lives are still full with their needs. If we do not, the world does not seem to, does not see us as a mother. Either way, we are often urged, even by well-meaning friends or family, to keep our grief quiet and hidden. But our love is enormous. So we cry in the shower, or we wail into the closet, we mourn alone in the car, on the run, in the pew, or at the grave. We learn to put on a bright face because the world cheers bravery. We rarely get the chance to sit with our grief and stare it full in the face. To learn from the lessons our love still waits to teach us to bring our whole selves to God in love, in anger, in doubt, in hope. To discover more of the mystery of faith within the pain and paradox of loss. To honor the holy, hard, heartbreaking truth that we will always be a mother of a child we lost, even if no one else knows their name. Well, I love that because um, Laura, so beautiful. I um, think that this is a topic again, because of November, we want to remember those little souls. But I wanted to know, 
let's begin kind of with your story and what prompted you to write that because it's obviously a personal story. Yeah, thank you for that. Uh, it's funny when something I wrote can still um, come back to me in a way that was really striking to hear. So my husband and I actually, ironically, now that our home is full with children, um, when we were first married, we went through a couple of years of infertility. And so when we were able to have children, it just felt like such a huge gift and such a huge blessing as it is. Um, and then uh, we had two sons and then found out we were pregnant again. And um, that third child was miscarried in the first trimester. And I was just blindsided by that grief. You know, I thought kind of foolishly thought we'd front loaded our suffering on the infertility side of things um, and just never expected we'd gone through that. Like many women now that I work with and minister with who've had miscarriage. Then after I lost that baby, people came out of the woodwork and I realized how common it was. I just had never heard the stories even in my own family or among my friends. But um, yeah, losing that baby that we never got to hold really changed me as a mother. It changed our family. Um, and we we went on to have a baby after that miscarriage, but it really changed my parenting too. And just my whole view of um, what this calling is and how it does have suffering at its core too. Um, and then later, years later after that, um, at this point, we had three little boys at home and I found out that not only was I expecting again, I was pregnant with twins. They were identical twin girls. And um, we actually developed a rare complication of identical twins called twin to twin transfusion syndrome. They shared a placenta. So one got too much blood and one got not enough. And so I had to have in utero surgery to try to save them. And unfortunately, the surgery wasn't successful, so they had to be born via C-section at 24 weeks, so really, really premature, and they were very sick. So um, they just lived one in two days, our daughters, Maggie and Abby. And that grief, you know, again, I thought I'd been through infertility, I'd been through miscarriage, but each one of those griefs is such a different experience and such a different kind of of pain and suffering that that again just really cracked my heart open to what the loss of a child is that you've held in your arms and everyone's hoping that this baby's going to pull through and we all hear miracle stories right of babies in the NICU even that young so it has been a really difficult journey through our marriage through our parenting um and and now we have five little boys at home <laughs> keep our lives very busy but yes you know, I really do. Those those other babes are so close to my heart. And like you said, especially in this month, it's just, it's a really beautiful and a really tender time, I think, to remember those babies that aren't with us. I mean, one of the things that struck me is also you wrote another one called A Decade of Waiting, Advent in the Body. You know, I hinted that, that and and it's like this line, without pregnancy and birth, messy physical experiences, Christmas could not have happened. So, you know, it's this whole idea of, Advent, you know, and I know that many of these, um, your pregnancies and all happen during Advent. So you know, how do you make that connection of this anticipation, this waiting? And yet, you know, Laura, it is, it's really about letting go and trust like to the nth degree. And, you know. Yeah. Well, it's funny that we found out we were first expecting in the middle of December. And I remember the switch from how hard it had been all those years of waiting to sit in the pew and try to sing those songs about, you know, 
unto us a child is born and you're just begging God, like, can't this be for us too? You know, can't we have this baby? And so I always remember, like, I have such love for Advent because it did teach me how we, you know, we wait in God's time. Like that transformation happened for me to go from infertility to pregnancy within that holy month. But but all of our lives are just, yeah, we're waiting in this deep mystery. And I love that about Advent. I think it is, it's such a beautiful time, like especially as women to to try to connect with Mary and say, what was that like? Like she went through pregnancy, she went through birth. Like those experiences were very different from ours. And yet I think there's a real mystery and a real beauty there. So I do think, yeah, that all of my pregnancies in some ways overlapped around Advent feels like a gift because I think it did teach me that, oh, there's such beauty and love in to, you know, this gift to get to welcome a child, but there's also suffering. And Mary's yes also was opening herself up to be, to have her heart broken, to go through the depths of you know, the loss of this beloved child she had, knowing what would come, but she was human like us. She went through all of that, right? So I think it's it's such a powerful season. It's so short, but it's just got so much packed into it that I love somehow it can hold all of that, you know, the love and the waiting and the suffering and and the hope. It's just all held right there. Yeah, I um, remember, you know, um, and I think it was Mother Angelica uh, sent a once, and I myself have suffered three, you know, we have lost three children through miscarriage. And and you had mentioned how in each one of those situations for you, Laura, it was very different. I mean, you suffered again, this part of infertility. Okay. So there's that longing expectation, just like in Advent, we're longing, you know, for the savior. Um, it's also then the time when you have a miscarriage where you really, yeah, never for me it was always during that first trimester. So I never get to hear the baby or see or know. And just, I can just imagine I've named them, you know, which has helped. Um, but, you know, for you, what maybe unpack that a little bit for us. How, how is that different? And, and I'd love to talk about that because I want to honor families that have been at those three different stages in fertility, losing a baby you never got to hold. And then you, at least I know almost full term with your little twins. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think what they have in common is that they're so often unseen or we don't make space even in the church to talk about these kinds of suffering, so many stories people have shared with me over the years now of how they didn't feel like anyone saw them in the pew when they were going through infertility. They just felt kind of overlooked in the church or, you know, that they went through this miscarriage and and nobody supported them. Um, and the grief of a child too. Wow. Sometimes it can feel really alienating because people don't want to remember that this can happen. It's such a scare. It's every parent's greatest fear, right? That you're going to. Yeah standing there at your child's grave. It just feels unbelievable. So I understand that there are hard things to talk about, but I, I think the importance of honoring every human life says that we have to look at those each, those different kinds of suffering, those different experiences to just honor what that is on their own. I mean, I think infertility feels like this intense stuckness. You cannot make your body do what you long for it to do. And it feels like a curse at times, or it feels like this ultimate frustration, this ultimate loss of control. And, and I think in some ways it's like the death of a dream. You know, you think, is this ever going to be for us? I mean, there's many ways people can become 
parents and fostering and adoption are amazing. But the, even I know friends who have gone through that, they're to grieve the loss of, of having your own biological children is a different kind of grief all its own. So I think we really do have a need to see that in the church. It's so common now. And to be able to walk with couples through that, whether in friendship or in our families or in our parishes, is so important to see and, and to support them in their suffering. And miscarriage, I think, is so common. I mean, I, I often will hear people say who've gone through it, like, I just wish I would have known. I wish, I mean, you, you can never anticipate or fully prepare for something like that. But I think the deep loneliness and isolation we can feel when we go through a miscarriage, um, it can just feel really bewildering or baffling. Like, I, I didn't even know this could happen. I didn't even know what it would feel like, or I didn't know. Many people don't even know that they could have a funeral for that child, that the church has special rights and blessings. There's just many ways that we have beautiful resources, but it's not widely known that we have ways to support couples through that. So I think, again, it can be common, and yet it feels so unique and isolating when it happens to us. There's another real need to um, to speak those stories, to honor those babies, to in some ways, you know, lean into these rituals and traditions we have, you know, in a beautiful month like November to say, this is a time to pray and to unite as um, parents who've gone through this and those who love them. Yeah. And then I think the loss of a child, you know, after birth is, it's intensely shocking. It's a deep suffering because I mean, while a mother's love, I, I mean, I, I feel the gift of all these children in my life. And yet I do I understand there's a difference in my grief between this this baby that we knew of for only a short time and we never got to hold, never got to see. And then, you know, these babies that were, you know, they didn't, they weren't as big as full-term babies, but, you know, we saw them on ultrasound for weeks. We listened to their heartbeats. They had names. I could feel them kick and, and we held them and baptized them and, and all these things you hope to do for your children. And Gosh, we live in a country that has amazing healthcare, right? And I think we hear so many great stories that you think, well, can't we just save everyone? Can't we fix people no matter what happens? Can't, can't this be the miracle story too? So I think to admit that we are so fragile, that life is so short and, and fleeting and we can't control it all is, is a hard lesson to learn. And um it can feel, you can feel when you go through this, like, you know, you're just, you're just alone in the world and that nobody even wants to talk about it because they're so scared that something might happen to their kids that I'm so grateful even for the friends who, though they haven't gone through this, um, would just sit and listen to me, would, would text me reminders on the girls, you know, anniversary of their deaths to just say they were thinking of me. There's these beautiful small things we can do to let people know even if they go through something so hard that might feel like our worst nightmare, we can still come alongside them, you know? So I would love yeah. to know that also on your, in your blog or your articles, you go through some real practical tips because I, I think you touched upon something. I want to just say, you said the word things that we cannot control. Isn't that really the heart of it all? You know I mean? It's like looking at life as a gift and we can't control the fertility part, as well as controlling how long these little souls are on loan to us, you know? Maybe. Yeah. And so, but the feeling alone is something I really, really want to tackle because, you know, you, 
you yourself, it's not just you who went through this. You went through this in a family setting um, with your husband and your children. Let's talk a little bit about that. And then we can start talking about how people can, in a practical way, help. So yeah, how was that in terms of a marriage, your relationship and, and your relationship with the, the, the other children as you were going through this? Yeah. So as a writer, I wrote through all these experiences. And, and when a publisher approached us and asked us to write this book for Catholic couples about grief and miscarriage and infant loss, um, we really felt like it was a calling because especially for my husband, there was next to no support. I mean, it's really, I think it's intensely hard for fathers. It's an, it's, we both experienced the loss of our twins, but we had a really different relationship to them. Like that's just the difference between a mother who's carrying those babies and a father who the love is there, but this is different physical relationship. So I think we found right away what many couples find in grief, um, which is that we were on different pages. You know, we, we were dealing with our grief in different ways and that does stress a marriage, even the best marriage. And I think um, you have to give your spouse a lot of compassion and a lot of gentleness and a lot of space and try to keep talking about it, even though these are hard things to, to realize it's okay that you are grieving differently. You're different people. You have different past experiences with grief, you know, and all of that, even different personalities and temperaments, all of that comes to bear on how people deal with with deep grief and loss. So I do think it's something it can be really hard to talk about, especially it can be hard for men to talk about um, you know, their emotions or their responses when often they want to be the protectors, they want to fix, they want to support. And, and you can't when this has happened. It's just a really feels like an impossible situation. So um, yeah, I think it, in our marriage and in this book, we really tried to explore like what does it mean that in some ways we're called to grieve individually and together. You know, we each had to make sense of this as the people we were, but then also like this changed our marriage and this shaped us. So how do we talk about that too? And like you said, you, you know, we forward, yeah. you know, from this situation. It's like it seems like it's easier. Yeah, great. We got a new baby, which is a big change in our lives, but this is a situation where our arms are empty. How do we move forward beyond that? And I love that. Yes, men are wired to be protectors, providers. Yeah. So did you find that there were times that your husband and you grieved separately and that, you know, was hard to do? Or how did, how did that, you know, how can we help other parents who are going through this? Yeah, I think... Um... I was much more comfortable talking with people about it. I really, I love community. So I, I go searching for it or building it if I don't have it. So I really kind of rallied the people around me that, that I loved and I knew I needed. And I could also write and share about this mm -hmm. in ways that, um, you know, he wasn't doing. So in some ways it felt like I kind of was creating the support I needed and I wasn't sure what he needed or and and then, you know, sometimes I would think, am I the only one? I think about them every day. I miss them every day. Does he seems to be okay? Like what, what is going on? And then he'd say, no, you know, every time I get in the car and I drive to work, I just like, you wouldn't believe how angry I get sometimes like the, how angry I get in the car when I'm alone. Cause it's the only time I can let down my guard. And I thought, oh, I wish I would have known that. I felt like I was going crazy over here. I was the only one grieving. So I think, um, again, there's just that, how do we make space just to talk about that, especially in the midst of raising our living kids and they, you know, take a lot of energy and time. So um, to kind of 
safeguard that. And we found that we found a really great support group for couples who had lost um, babies. And even to go, we used to laugh and call them grief dates, but we would go out to dinner before or after and just the chance to have uh, you know, once or twice a month to just talk about how we were doing. We so rarely ever got to do that at home when life was so busy. And I look back and I think, I think that made a huge difference for us just to have a little space. Um, because, you know, the kids not only still needed, you know, meals and permission slips and shoes and all the things that kids normally need, but they also, they were grieving too. And at each level, I mean, even our, our youngest then was not even two, but they know when there's something in the family that's off and they are part of this whole ecosystem of the family. So each of the kids grieved in their own ways. And that's really hard as a parent too. You're dealing with your own grief and then you're trying to deal with your children's grief. So trying to give yourself grace in the midst of that. Um, I remember um, after we, I had miscarried the second time and um, I had miscarried between my first and second child. And I remember that kind of blindsided thing, you know, where you're just thinking, and and we were, we, um, our first child came honeymoon baby, you know, we're thinking, there we are, we're on a roll here. And then realizing this was a loss. Like I didn't, and you said all of that where people don't talk and how, how do we, I remember people kind of, in particular, avoiding the conversation with me. Of course, our little one was so little to how did it affect him? But in later years, I was closer to 44, 48, when I had two other miscarriages, you know, thinking, oh, gosh, I'm going through menopause. That's what's happening. But no, God granted these little souls for just such a short time. But a parishioner had come up to me and said, your son told me we lost a baby. And that really struck me that I realized at that moment, this wasn't just about me. This is a new member for our entire family. So yeah, how do you talk to your children about that? Are there things that you found, as you said, some were little, different age appropriate? How do you talk to children about loss? You know, I think parents get really intimidated because it feels like such, it's such a mystery to us even. Like even when we draw upon what our faith teaches, the church even leans into mystery here, right? We we believe in heaven, we believe in salvation, but we don't 100% know what that will look or feel or be like. So I think um, it can feel scary when we don't feel like we have all the answers. How could I explain to my children why their sisters died when I... And wrestling with those same questions too. So I think, you know, some of the best advice I got was just to make talking about it a natural part of our family's conversation, not to feel like I had to just do it once uh, and come up with all the right answers and that would be everything, but just to really normalize it and to meet them at their level and not feel like I have to explain everything all at once, but just to keep the conversation going. So we really did that for months, for years, even just to talk about how, you know, every living thing has its own lifespan. And we don't know why some lifespans are really short. And some, like your great grandpa, lived to be nearly 100. That's the mystery. But um, you know that God loves every one of these little souls. And the mystery is that they come from God and we go back to God. And this, in this, you know, the communion of saints, this mystery of love, we're all held together in that. So I think 
being able to talk about it, being able to pray about it, you know, um, lots of things like that, just that they were a regular part of our family's life. And, you know, to light candles for remembering them every time we go to church, simple things like that. The kids yes. just love. Do you do something special during the month of November or is it, like you said, all throughout the year? Well, all throughout the year, but actually in November is when we work with our parish. We do uh, like a memorial mass, a mass for God's children that we help to organize. So we call it Maggie and Abby's mass, but it's not, <laughs> that's not what they put in the bulletin, yeah. but that's what our kids call it because they love it. So as part of that mass, um, we do offer, you know, it's for anyone who's lost a child from miscarriage, stillbirth, infant loss, all the way up through a loss of an adult children. And so we get an amazing turnout, people that I had no idea in our parish had experienced this. And we invite people um, as they're willing and comfortable to come forward and just speak the child's name or share a little bit about their story. And then they get to light a candle and place it um, at the foot of the altar. And then everyone takes the candles home. So those candles, the kids love that. They kind of put them on our little prayer altar throughout the year and we just light them and remember them. So I think, yeah, those kinds of rituals of saying, this is something we do. The kids don't get, you know, weirded out by talking about the girls or talking about these babies. Um, it's just, they're part of our family. And we do talk a lot about how wonderful it will be in heaven one day to get to be with them in ways that we weren't here, you know? So they love that. You touched upon that. You know, we are removed from death in many ways, you know, but our parish family can bring us into that community of this shared experience in terms of understanding it is something inevitable. <laughs> we just don't know when. Um, one of those beautiful gifts I I received, you know, as I, I remember distinctly, one of the miscarriages was this voice, you know, and maybe God comforting me. I always attribute it to dear St. Padre Pio, who I really felt walked with me the whole time. Sometimes I feel the saints call you and they're walking with you through the process um, so that you don't feel alone. Um, said, Paula, you're a portal to heaven. You're, you're being asked of God to bring a soul in, but it's only fleeting, like just, you know, a candle flame for a little bit. And that I found very comforting, you know, to me to understand that he, maybe he has a purpose for me in a bigger way that I have. So in that same way, Laura, your family has this purpose that has expanded beyond your own family to recognize so many souls. How incredible. Well, and it's amazing, you know, having shared, especially Meg and Abby's story, I will have people who will reach out and say, you know, I pray to your girls. I ask them to intercede for this and that in my life. And I've seen these things happen. And I just think what an amazing blessing from, you know, when you go through that grief, sometimes we think if we just hold it inside or we just kind of burrow down, that's the best way to go through it. But actually, if you let yourself have that vulnerability to share it with someone else, you often can find that there's a connection that's powerful and lasting. And, and just like you said, it, um, it affirms that these these lives had such purpose beyond you know our world thinks you have to be productive and you have to be healthy and you have to live this long life to really have been granted a gift but no there's so many ways in which honoring the full dignity of human life means remembering that yeah these were full lives even if they were really short yeah love you know god loved them into creation your love between you and your husband your love of christ got them you know yeah gave them the life 
of his soul. And so it is, it's an honor in many ways. And, and what we talked about again, is getting back to this idea of Advent, you know, um, and the Mary, you know, in a turmoil and having, I, I keep thinking one of my children was born in January. So I was rather large and big going through those last few months and saying, how in the world did she ride on a donkey? That big? <laughs> <laughs> you know? But it's, I hear you. Amen. <laughs> exactly. But this whole idea of dying to self in really many ways of just being servants to God, uh, every life has, has meaning and purpose on purpose <laughs> by God. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So, so good. So let's tackle some of those, you know, again, there's joy in suffering and we don't, the heart of this talk, I think more than anything is, is your beautiful testimony, Laura, in telling us to recognize those souls, honor them and as a family to grieve and open up that grief, that wound to others to share it. But you do have some very practical things that if yourself, and this comes from, I'm sure your own personal experience, I think people feel helpless when they know that somebody they love, a friend, a neighbor, a parishioner is going through this. Uh, you wrote a beautiful, beautiful article. And I'd love for you to just kind of let's unpack that. Some specific things we can do for those who have suffered loss of a child. Yeah, well, this came from, I think many of us um, with good intentions often say to someone who's grieving, let me know what I can do to help. <laughs> the thing that you realize once you go through grief is let alone ask for you know specific help that you need. It's very hard to ask for help when you're grieving. So I think when we are on the other side and we're trying to support someone we love going through this, it can be such a gift to be the one who offers something practical instead. So something as simple as saying, I'm going to drop off a meal. Or I'm going to drop off groceries. Just put it on your front step. You don't, I'll just text you when I leave. You don't even have to say hi. Or you can say, I'm running to the store. I'm getting you something. So you let me know what I'm getting. Or I'll pick up your kids at four, give them dinner, give them baths, bring them back to you with your jammies on and you can put them to bed. When we can do that for each other, it's so much easier for someone to accept or not a practical gift like that. And I think um, often people will ask me, what can I get for someone or what can I do? And so I, I do kind of fall back on these four things you might be able to give someone um, something to hold, something to read, something they want and something they need. So um, when I think about something to hold, especially, you know, with babies who were here for such a short time to have something when you feel that your arms are so empty, something concrete. So flowers are beautiful when people send flowers, but they actually die too. And so that can become kind of, uh, and ironically, uh, then you have to deal with the dead flowers. So I think um, the things that people gave us that, you know, something that had their names on it, something like a, a, like a rosary that is just for that child. Um, a picture frame, a teddy bear. Christmas ornament that you can, you a know, Christmas ornament. Absolutely. Our kids love the ornaments that have the girls' names on them. It's just, it's something tangible. Like they are real. They were here. They are part of your family. Like they yeah. can be in your home. And they, they are real. to be a part of your family. Exactly. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, and then I always say too, something to read. I think that especially women often want to, 
you know, sometimes we have questions of why did this happen? So we might want to be reading something about this kind of loss or just to hear other people's stories can make you feel less alone. So I do have some book suggestions on my blog because I think there are some really beautiful books that can we'll help people we'll to those, know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We'll add those links, including your book um, to right below this uh, video on, on our podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So but those I, can be wonderful too. Yeah. To have... Karen's forums book, um, which I don't think is in print anymore. Letters to Gabriel. She had yes. written that was like letters to this baby. And then the baby died and it, it ended up being this incredible, you know, <laughs> testimony, but it, it, it helped me tremendously. So I know what you mean. We go to a book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, we do want to know we're not alone in that. And um, yeah, just to find ourselves in someone else's words can be a huge gift a huge gift. Um, and then I think, you know, something they want, well, what, the, what a parent really wants after their child has died is they want that baby back. They want, you know, we have to give them the gift of your presence, to give them the gift of your time, your prayer, your support. Often families have really high medical bills coming at, even a miscarriage can be so expensive. So sometimes just to offer that financial support can be huge. Um, but then there are all these things that, that you need, you need, you know, meals, you need childcare for your kids, groceries. I mean, there are really practical ways that we can just love each other in the body, in the flesh. Um, when we're going through deep grief, I think there's a reason our impulse is to make a casserole, to feed each other, because we know that when your heart is just broken, when you are grieving, you do actually still have to care for your physical body too. So I think thinking about those different ways we can support each other physically, emotionally, spiritually. Um, I still maintain that one of the best things that my dear friends from college did is they would text me, all of them, every month on the day that the girls had died. They would just text me. And of course, I was thinking about it on that day because that date just becomes really, you know, powerful in grief. And so just to know that I wasn't alone on that day, that those friends were with me, a simple text is like the easiest thing to offer, but it meant the world to me. So I think there are really easy ways we can journey with people who are grieving over the long haul, which they really need. Yes. Yes. And so, I mean, again, it's that whole idea of not being alone and feeling like you're not alone, but also being able to reach out in that community of faith. So. Um, uh, as we kind of wrap up this conversation, I wanted to ask you, you know, Laura, moving forward, uh, it is hard. It is hard to be hopeful. And when you say Advent's kind of a time of hope, how did you kind of get, I would say you and your husband, you know, kind of get back that hope, you know, because you do feel very, so you're alone, but you also feel very depressed and down and a failure and all sorts of emotions. How does hope, is hope part of that? Well, I think for me, it the rubber really hits the road when this happens and you have to say, do I believe what I've always said I believe about the resurrection? Like, do I actually believe this? Because it's really easy to just stand up and go through the motions and say this and profess it in the creed. But when it's your own child and you are really asking, you know, do I believe that? Do I believe what life after death means? Do I believe that when I'm looking at the worst thing in my life that God could somehow still even now be working to bring forth 
good from it, to raise up some new life out of this. And I don't think there's any easy way to do that. It's just every day getting up, trying to take one more step forward. You know, it really was, it was hard. I think the hardest thing for me was to trust God again. I think that is still hard for me to say, I believe in you. I hope in you, but can I trust you with my children's lives? Because I did that once and it really didn't work out. And how do I continue to be a person of hope? And yet I think I look, I mean, you even look at the world around us, the the physical cycles that nature goes through of, you know, death and rebirth in the spring. And you look at the wisdom of the church here that we go through these seasons that teach us about life. They teach us about dying and rising. They teach us about, you know, Advent is this season of, we talk about the light, but there's deep darkness in Advent, you know, where many of us live, it's very dark and cold even in this season. And how do we trust and hope that there's still going to be light, this great light that will come forth. So I think there's a reason that we have these cycles in creation and in the church, because it's never a once and done deal. We're always, you know, moving through these cycles of doubt and faith and grief and joy. We have to just keep moving forward. And so I think, um, trusting that, you know, I, I don't, sometimes people will say, well, time heals all wounds. I think what you do with time is what can bring healing. And I think to try to trust that God is always at work in, in time in our lives. And that if we believe what we say about Emmanuel at this, you know, in Advent, that that's God with us, that God is with us in this suffering too, in those times of grief or doubt or, or anger or deep sorrow, you know, that God is there too. Um, I think that's part of the mystery of faith that all of this loss and grief has opened me up to. Gosh, you know, Laura, thank you so much for that honesty of saying you still don't trust God, you know, and, and yeah, because that's raw, that's real. Yeah. That's, that's, that is again, honoring us with your honesty because um, we want to say that, yeah, I get it. And I'm a believing person, but we are, boy, really fragile people who want to have things our way. And obviously in that great suffering, we just don't want to suffer. We want, as you say, you long for those little souls back. And it is a great mystery. It is a wonderful, as we come into the season, I I really wanted to bring that home, especially I know with homeschooling, with our families, you know, it's all part of our lives. It's a lifestyle. So, you know, we, we can't, it's not something that as I, (laughs) I think spoke with you earlier, you know, when we're going through grief, loss, anything, even just having a premature baby or anything, we don't just squeeze it in between, you know, the math and geography lessons. It actually becomes the center of our family. So there, uh, thank you. So uh, I wanted to thank you so much for all of that. I'm trying to think here from my notes. Yes, you do have so many great resources on your blog that uh, I would really hope that people will tap into. Can you tell us a little bit about how we can reach Laura if we want to get to some of those resources? Sure. So my website is my name, laurakellyfinucci.com. And I have my Mothering Spirit blog is linked there where I have, I've written a lot about, you know, not just grief and all of this, but also just 
kind of parenting, faith, spirituality, and everyday liturgical living, all of that is there too. So that's at Mothering Spirit. Um, and then you can find me. I write a lot now on Instagram and um, my Instagram handle is This Messy Grace. So you can find me there as well. And um, I send out a weekly newsletter, which is through my um, website. It's called The Holy Labor. And um, so actually, I always think of it in a special way this time of year, because I do think about the labor that fills our days of caring for our families and educating them and um, and also, you know, the physical labor that we go through and how we remember how holy that is this time of year, too. So all of that is there on my website at laurakellyfinucci.com. Well, Laura, it's been a joy and honor, as I said, um, really a gift to all of us, to all of us in the Catholic Homeschool Network in the sense that you've shared something that really nobody really wants to talk about. And I know you mentioned too, the church has very little resources. I do encourage people to get Laura's book um, and to be able, especially especially uh, because it's her and her husband talking, you know, grief as a couple, and then also to look at her website. Um, I do encourage that if you have friends that are going through this and especially to spend time remembering all the departed souls in our own families. So um, again, thank you. A happy, holy month of November to everybody. And as we get ready for Advent, it is with my honor and joy that I uh, bring you these podcasts. And I thank you, please. Blessings to you, Laura. Thank you again. And may God thank you so much for having me. This was such a joy. God bless. God bless. God bless everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for watching. If you enjoyed this video, please consider liking it and subscribing to our YouTube channel. You can find us on all your favorite podcast platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Thank you, and have a blessed day.